I was never a flower, and no matter how much you loved how beautifully I might play the ingenue, it was always beneath me. It is beneath all women. It matters not that I am left in my underwear. It was a critical triumph. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself, William Shakespeare. I'm Megan Charlo, and I use she/her pronouns. My name is Matthew James Marquez. I use he/him pronouns. Today, in our inaugural episode, we are here to discuss the play Bernhardt Hamlet, written by Teresa Rebeck. So, Megan and I love Shakespeare. We ran a Shakespeare company in college. We talk about Shakespeare at least once a day with one another. We are constantly reading his plays. We are bardolators. Now, even though we do love the bard himself, we live in the 21st century, and we know that ya boy was white. He was a middle-class man living in London, one of the largest empires in the world. So maybe, just maybe, he didn't exactly have a full picture of what the world was. He only really had his own small viewpoint. To that end, we have decided to, instead of taking a look at his works, take a look at works inspired by those original works that, let's be honest, weren't always so original to begin with. Despite where he comes from, we cannot deny that Shakespeare's work permeate throughout all of Western culture, and it's an important part of it. So we love him, we criticize him, and we're here to talk about him. Now, there are a shit ton of works inspired by William Shakespeare. Wait, let me double check the database. Yeah, yeah, there is a shit ton. That's what it says. Oh, okay. Thank you for checking. So yeah, this podcast is going to consist of us discussing a work inspired by William Shakespeare. We're going to talk about how it exists in the cultural conversation of the play it's based on and just art in general. We're going to gush about things we liked, yell about things that we didn't like, and you're here along for the ride. So let's start off today by talking about Bernhardt Hamlet by Teresa Rebeck. Just a basic history of the work. Bernhardt Hamlet was a play that originated in 2018 at the American Airlines Theater performed by the Roundabout Theater Company. We did not see that production. The production that we saw was performed at the Goodman Theater in Chicago in the fall of 2019 and directed by Donna Fiore. And it starred Terry McMahon as Sarah Bernhardt. The play is based on the real life of Sarah Bernhardt, a celebrated French actress who found herself tired of the typical female ingenue that she kept playing. Which, just to be clear, suck. Yeah. Billy shakes as many things, but a writer of uh, meaty women's roles, he is not. There's a couple. There are a couple, yeah. Cat. Uh, cat. Cat. Beatrice in a good cut. Beatrice in a good cut. <laughs> Cleopatra in a good cut. Phyla and Olivia in a good cut. 
But even then, they don't really have the most lines in the play. And those are comedies. Bernhardt wanted a meteor role. And I, as a female who has strove to and then played Hamlet, understand. Yeah, it's a good role. It's a juicy role. Love that guy. And I don't really love that guy. But... <laughs> He's a little problematic, but you know. It's Hamlet. It's the most famous role in the history of theater. I think before we get into the play itself, I want to discuss a little bit of the writer and the director discussing this play. In the production we saw, there was an interview in the playbill, and I've taken a few quotes from it. I just want to talk about them. I understand that death of the author is a thing, and we should view the works as they stand by themselves. But I think it's important to provide some context going in, even if it colors the final reading of the text for you. In a quote in the playbill, the director Donna Fiora says, The Hamlet character is someone who intensely witnesses what is going on in the world around him. He can't not see. That's his problem. Rebeck responds, on some level, he's Shakespeare himself. Bernhardt discovers that unearthed in the character of Hamlet is Shakespeare himself rising with the questions that truly perturbed him. And those questions are, for all of us, beyond gender. I respect that and all, but I gotta chime in, because I'm really... I know we were just talking about Death of the Author We are just talking about it. But we don't know if Shakespeare was like Hamlet, and authors put themselves into all of their works. And you could look at basically any work and say that Shakespeare is using it to question something, or to work through something. That isn't special about Hamlet. And saying that the character is Shakespeare when you've never met the guy is kind of jumping to conclusions. We don't know this. We really don't know very much about the man himself. A quick rundown of things that Marquez knows about him. He was a glove maker's son who grew up in Stratford-upon-Avon. He lost his father and a child around the time that Hamlet, quote-unquote, was written. Again, we don't even really know that that's when it was written. That's just when it was performed, so it probably was written around that time. But, like, everything that we talk about is just historical guesswork. We have very few primary sources, barely have his signature. To say that Shakespeare is Hamlet, I agree with Megan, is a... Jumping the gun a little bit. I don't know. I think if I was writing myself into a character, I wouldn't write myself as the one that most people will look at and judge for doing nothing for so long. Hey, maybe Shakespeare hated himself. That's a good point. (laughs) He could be a millennial at heart. Yep. He could have had massive anxiety. We just don't know. You know what? On this show, I think that's a good phrase going forth. We just don't know. We just don't know. The whole point of this play and this discussion that Bernhardt Hamlet is bringing up is how big of a deal it is for Sarah Bernhardt to be playing Hamlet. So, like, just how big of a deal is it for a woman to play Hamlet or any male role? Are you asking me? Yeah. I mean, I'll ask you. I think it is not a big deal. On the other hand, I do think that it is a choice. And I think that gender identity is fluid. You are saying something by making that choice. 
any play that you put on, every decision matters. There's no accidental decisions that you're making. So I think that making that choice means that you're saying something about the character, about the play, about the culture that you exist in. I don't think that it is a shocking thing to do and should never be done. But I think that by doing that, you can't just say that that is what you're doing without at least inviting a conversation about gender identity. Productions have done it without making it a huge deal. Marquez sent a list to me this morning that was females throughout history who have played Hamlet. And one of them is Asta Nielsen, who was a screen Hamlet in a silent film from Germany in 1920. And the whole point was just that Hamlet in this was born a female, but raised as if she were the son. I think that the play offers a lot of opportunity to deal with gender identity. There is a lot of question of Hamlet acting like a son, Hamlet acting like a man. It is called into question a couple times. And Hamlet also questions women why they do what they do, why he doesn't seem to understand them, but in all honesty, he doesn't understand himself or the men around him either. With that, I think we're ready to dig into the actual play of Bernard Hamlet. We're going to take it scene by scene. Some scenes we'll basically skip, let's be honest. Other scenes we might have a lot to say about. I apologize in advance because I will be, as I constantly refer to myself, doing riding the ghost dick of Hamlet throughout this play and trying to connect it to the original work, whether I'm pulling at straws or not. So the first scene deals with her talking with her fellow actors about the language of the play. That is a good deal of the first bit of it. And I think Rebecca starts out really nicely with having Sarah Bernhardt attempting to do the oh what a Rogan peasant slave am I speech just because that's the one that has to do with actors and how actors can incite great emotion and Hamlet can't even put proper words and action to his feelings whereas an actor can just fake it and do it. I think that that's really great for this play in which Sarah Bernhardt is having trouble accessing Hamlet, who's having trouble accessing his emotions. Yeah, she's just having trouble connecting with this work. Sarah Bernhardt's trying really hard to just find the meaning in what he's saying. It's almost like the ghost of her father came and said a bunch of words through motions and she can't understand what they mean. And she's, uh, you know stalling rehearsal, unsure of her actions, not quite ready to go forward. She's Hamlet. What? So smart, Megan. Yeah, I think she really is like Hamlet in this. But I also think that she's not, which is very funny. Sarah Bernhardt's a very forceful, confident, strong person. They're foils of each other, really. Yes. They're going through the same basic struggle pared down to nothing but approaching it completely different ways. She's going, okay, well, how do I fix it? And Hamlet's going, oh God, will someone please fix this? Just tell me straight out what I'm supposed to do. So after a few pages of this, Edmund Ronstad walks in, famed writer of Cyrano de Bergerac. 
and he is her lover. She did have quite a few lovers. She was a very passionate woman. Male and female lovers. Male and female. Hell yeah, we support a bi icon. As a playwright, Edmund is able to give her a little insight as to symbolism and metaphor, explaining that not necessarily everything on the page is exactly what it means, which Sarah does not like as someone who's very forward. This is also the first instance where Sarah brings up the fact that she doesn't believe that Hamlet is as old as he supposedly is. She is dead set on the fact that he has to be 19 to go to college, so he can't have a beard, etc. And everyone's like, he's a 30-year-old man. He's a 30-year-old man. man. And so she says that means Shakespeare's careless, because no, of course he's 19. Which is an interpretation. It is. Interpretation is not necessarily fact, Miss Sarah Bernhardt. Yes, and honestly, with a lot of Shakespeare characters, we only have a few things that denote in the text what age people are. And to say it again, we just don't know how old Hamlet is. We do have the Yorick speech. And that confuses things. And you can chalk that up to Shakespeare being careless. The text is important, but also you have to remember Shakespeare wasn't right all the time about things. He was playing make-em-ups. Yes, he was playing make-em-ups. In the next scene, we have Edmund and Sarah in a tender embrace. They have sex. And I like that this play plays with the gender even more in their lovemaking. She's dressed in breeches and boots when he starts making out with her. The first lines in scene two is Edmund saying, it is delightful to undress a man and find a woman inside. And Sarah says, it is equally delightful to undress a man and find a man. Sarah also continues to talk about all the male parts that she wants to play when it's questioned, well, why Hamlet? Why not Hamlet? Why not Mephistopheles? Why not all these other male parts that are way better than all the female parts that are available right now? It's not 2020. It's not... Even 1990, it's not 1960. There aren't very good works for women. And there are always outliers. And I am excited for everyone commenting, saying, well, what about this role and this play that has a great female? Yes, those exist. And we love them. But also, how well-known are they compared to Hamlet and Faustus and Macbeth? How prevalent are they? In society. Megan, where, where did you get that soapbox? <sighs> Sorry, let me, let me put this away. <laughs> this scene also begins my reading of the relationship of Sarah and Edmund as Hamlet and Ophelia. So toxic and, and not good for each other? Toxic ultimately. and not good for each other. Hidden from their families. Not really communicating well. The last line of the scenes. You have my heart and soul. Why is that not enough? I know it should be, but it never is. That letter's not enough to keep Ophelia from turning on Hamlet when her dad needs her to. And it's not enough for her to believe that he loves her when she's not seeing the proof immediately anymore. Megan, yeah, do you feel really strongly about Hamlet? I might. Is this a ghostic? This might be a ghostic moment. Sorry, I'll get off the soapbox. And the ghost stick. We can move on to the next scene. Edmund Bronson talks with the fucking worst character in the play. 
This is a scene in which he talks with a critic, and this critic can go suck a nut. Fuck this guy. I don't think he even deserves to suck a nut. No, he doesn't even deserve nut sucking. He deserves a kick in the teeth. I mean, granted, he is a straw man. He is a straw man for the negative viewpoint that Sarah Bernhardt playing Hamlet is unethical and just not done. Hey, do you want to do a line read of some of this terrible, terrible critic? Yes, let me uh, put on my big dickery. Someone needs to talk her out of it. She's a great actress, but Hamlet? It's grotesque. If Shakespeare meant for Hamlet to be a woman, he would have named the play Hamlet, Princess of Denmark. That's not what he wrote. The men played the women for all those years. If it's alright for a man to play a woman, why not a woman play a man? It was the custom. Men playing women, that's alright. Women playing men, it doesn't work. How do you know? Don't argue with me about this. I've already won this argument. It's a disgusting idea, and you know it. What a dick. Fuck that guy. Also, it was the custom in England, not the custom in France for men to play women. It was really only England. It was a outlier. And even in England, it's not like Sarah Bernhardt was the first woman to play Hamlet. I'm going to go on another soapbox for a second. Okay. I'm going to talk about Charlotte wait, Sharp. Wait, wait, let me, let, me, uh, let me place it there for you. Thank you. Step, step. So Charlotte Shark, otherwise known as Charles Brown, because let's be honest, she was trans. Whoa, she was, whoa, like, what? Probably trans. Probably a trans man. Oh. But of course, history writes everyone yeah, yeah, cis yeah. and straight. At that point, everyone would say, there's a woman playing all these breeches roles. She played Hamlet. She did all these things. But she liked to use the name Charles Brown and wear pants, even offstage. So, maybe Charles is just Charles, and everyone should stop being a dick. But I'm just using this to say, not people, the first time. people who presented as feminine to society were playing Hamlet before Sarah Bernhardt. So, Louise, shut up. Shut up. I mean, you're supposed to hate him. Uh, he is the bad man. Yes, he is the bad man. He is a foil for Edmund's on the fence nature about Sarah performing Hamlet because around Sarah, he does express his uncomfortableness with it. But around this critic, he defends Sarah. And I think he is partly defending her because of his feelings towards her. And he probably doesn't think it is that big of a deal, but he is a man existing in this time who belongs to this culture. Who so, is turning down the opinion of another man in favor for the opinion of a woman. Yes. So he is kind of in the middle of all of this. I think it's important that the scene exists to showcase that. As we get into scene four, I will step off the soapbox, okay, yeah. hand it to Marquez. Okay, I put it on the ground, step, step, step. I'm on the soapbox now. So Constant is the best character in the play. Fuck yes, this guy rules he's like an older actor who's played hamlet like multiple times before and he's just here to do a good job he was played by larry yando who is a famed chicago actor who's been the 
Scrooge at the Chicago Goodman's production for a long time. So everyone going to this production at the Goodman Theater, who has been to almost any production at the Goodman Theater, knows this actor as an established actor. It's like he's not even playing a part. He's just himself on this stage. Yes, and he is playing a secondary role in the play, someone who is a supporter of Sarah Bernhardt, but does push her in scenes where they're discussing the text, and he provides her guidance, he provides her translations. He's just a really good ally, honestly. He fucking rules. I love Constant. I'm a constant stan. I'm going to step off my soapbox now. He also brings up a great bit of the ability to interpret text to your own adaptation, which is his suggestion that maybe Hamlet and Ophelia are kind of having sex during their whole scene, which makes Marquez uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't like sex on stage. It makes They me... are fully clothed, at least in the production we saw. Yes, they are fully clothed. Just simulated sex makes me uncomfortable. Don't like it. It's okay. But I also think that that scene in the original is very charged. It is very and charged. And you can do with it what you want. And that's the fun of adaptation. Yeah, in this scene, I just want to mention a line that really speaks to me as a perpetual player of secondary roles. In this scene, Constant says, I like Thelonious. <laughs> He's a bit of a fool, but he has a good heart. Straight ahead fellow, really. You play him, you go home, you go to bed. And that just really speaks to me. I'm a huge fan of roles where you just do your thing, you get stabbed, you die, and then you just get to sit backstage and be happy until you go on for vows. These characters aren't huge delving into the brain of the artist and trying to interpret text about the world and anything. And those are the roles that I like. As someone who likes headier roles, I appreciate Constant has done both. Yes, he has. He has gone from playing Hamlet to playing Polonius. And he, he tries to impress upon Sarah that Hamlet is a broken man to some degree and if you let him he will break you and especially with the stress that she is under as a female trying to play the role in the time that they're in i mean you still get some backlash for it now so back then especially she has a lot to deal with in the text and outside of it and it's good to see a seasoned actor and a man of men basically on the stage, try to give her help while also just completely supporting her vision. This is also the scene where we see Alphonse Mucha show up, who is an artist who did a lot of posters and banners for Sarah Bernhardt's work, as well as many famous French works. Please look him up. Bernhard Hamlet is really a who's who of French society. At this time, definitely. Yes. And then before the scene is over, oh, hey, what's being brought up again? Hmm, something very similar to Hamlet and his age. Oh, what's that? Sarah's son is, um, 35. 35 and in school? Hmm. You can be both. Interesting. And yet she insists that Hamlet is at the tender age of 19. 
So is it just because she doesn't want to see her son as Hamlet is because they're the same age? Is she just trying to avoid that? I think she's trying to avoid a lot of things, Megan. She's trying to avoid digging herself deeper into this work. She's afraid of that. She's afraid of what boundaries she's pushing. I guess it is a lot easier to approach a role like Hamlet, who is so indecisive, if you can just say they're young and naive. Yes, And you don't need to compound, well, why would a 35 or so year old be so unsure of themselves? Also in this scene, we find out that she's a mess financially. She has no money despite being famous. So she herself doesn't know what she's doing. She just does things. It's a good scene. So the next scene is about Alphonse Mucha and Edmund just talking about an old poster that he has up. And they basically spend, like, the whole scene talking about Sarah Bernhardt and how much Edmund loves her but can't be with her. And it's just kind of a scene about how they're putting Sarah on a pedestal and how Mucha can't draw her like Hamlet, that he's having difficulty doing it. Because she's such a flower and she's so beautiful (laughs) and who could capture that? Anyway, Edmund is like Ophelia. And needs to stay away from her. Okay. He says it. He says it's not a dalliance. It's a catastrophe. Which is kind of what they make Ophelia feel about Hamlet. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Next scene. Moving on. And we're moving on to the best scene in the play. Scene six. Scene six. A lot of this scene is about Sarah and the actors discussing the ghost scene. And if anyone has ever spent time in a rehearsal space talking about text. This is what it feels like, where you're just talking about what it means. It's just very good. They also do that technique that I really love, that I see more in media on theater than I do in rehearsal spaces, which is doing it without the text and just doing the meaning. And you can stray, but you're trying to just get the emotion and the forward nature of the scene across that they play between Hamlet and the ghost to try to bring out emotions that the words are stopping Sarah from achieving. Yeah, maybe uh, Sarah's got a bad relationship with her dad. At least that's what I interpret it from the production that I saw. The text doesn't really go into it, but it feels like she's accessing something there. I... Remember when Megan and I saw this, this was a very powerful moment. They do that exercise about making the words your own. And they just do that until they are able to fall into the lines. And it just flowed so nicely. It was astounding. After that scene is completed and we have that amazing catharsis almost of them really hitting the emotions of that scene finally. We move on to the actress who's playing Ophelia talking to Sarah about what it's like portraying a role with someone who's played that role before. And has played it to heavy acclaim. Yes, because Sarah's Ophelia was loved by everyone. And Lisette is terrified of playing Ophelia on stage with her. And it's funny because at the same time, Sarah's doing that with Constant, with Hamlet, but it's different because she's doing it completely differently. I mean, granted, when you play Hamlet, you have to think about every famous person who's ever played Hamlet, so... 
It's a lot There's of fun. also that. It's fun. It's a great place. I also need to talk about how Constant talks about the verse. Because he does my favorite thing, which is he goes, ba-ba, 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 ba-ba. I love when people bring up I am's. It's a big deal with me when people don't pay attention to iambic pentameter when they're doing Shakespeare. It bothers me because when you're doing Shakespeare, you have to ride a fine line between avoiding becoming heightened to the point of incomprehensibility and respecting the verse because you should respect the verse because Shakespeare wrote it in that way. It's one of the only ways that we can find intention. For those of you who don't know, an I am is a soft beat followed by a strong beat. Iambic pentameter is five sections of the baba. To be or not to be, that is the question. You've brought up one of my favorite things, which is the fact that that line ends on a hanging soft beat it is unfinished it is unfinished which is done purposefully yes. to leave you feeling unsure and unfinished i mean yeah we can interpret but again we just don't know you want to know a dirty little secret what i never tried to follow iambic pentameter until my junior year of college Luckily, I just did it naturally, apparently. Like, literally, it wasn't until my junior year when one of our Shakespeare professors was like, you always hit the iambic pentameter so well. And I went, oh, I do? shit, I should be doing that, shouldn't I? And then I started looking at plays and I was like, oh, okay, it, just ma- it makes sense. The scene continues. Edmund returns and they are reunited after he has been avoiding her for like two whole scenes. Oh, two whole scenes. How dare he? This is the part of the play that I'm like, eh, I'd rather the whole play be about them talking about the show and doing the show. We have to do the cheating subplot because it will eventually lead to Edmund Ronstadt writing Cyrano de Bergerac for her. So we need this push and pull of Sarah wanting him to leave his wife and him saying i'm stuck in the situation i'm in but i love you and then you just go about this for ever until a really great moment that shows once more how much of a foil sarah is to hamlet when edmund tells her that he just came to say all these bad things about her doing hamlet as a warning and sarah says i need no warnings If I had heeded any warning in my whole life, I'd have done nothing with it. Which, oh boy, doesn't that sound like a famous prince we know. So she knows. She knows everything that people are saying about her. She knows what they're saying about her, and she herself knows exactly what Hamlet is going through because she's terrified of doing it herself. But she's going to do it. She's also opposite of Hamlet. She is, like you said, a foil. Can I talk about foils? Aluminum? Yes, aluminum. That's the only one I know. Listeners, a foil is a piece of metal that is placed under a jewel or a different metal in order to make that jewel or metal shine brighter. It is a scientific term that has been translated into a literary term. I just love that concept that the foil is there to make the main thing shine brighter. It's fantastic. So Hamlet is 
Sarah's foil. Sarah's not Hamlet's foil. His existence as a entity in the play showcases Sarah's character better. Just like in the play, Laertes is there to showcase Hamlet's indecision. That was foil corner. Now, going back into Sarah and Edmund, or Hamlet and Ophelia corner. At the end of this scene, Edmund knows that I've been saying this about them. And he decides, no, I have the penis. I am the Hamlet. As if that is what makes a man. And he says to Sarah, Doubt thou the stars are fire. Doubt that the sun doth move. Doubt truth to be a liar. But never doubt I love. Because he knows that that's what Hamlet says to Ophelia. But he should also know (laughs) the context of that. Yes. And how it's, one, a letter... It's not a moment between the two of them. We don't see in the play her receiving this letter. Polonius reads it to the king and queen queen. without Hamlet or Ophelia in the room. So we have no context for the letter outside of that. Right. So they don't say that to each other. And then Sarah says she recognizes that he isn't even the one who says it. Yeah. That Polonius reads it and it's corrupted from start to finish because of that. But it's such a strange, like, it's so interesting to me that that phrase from Hamlet's letter has become so canonical in love and true love and proof of love when it's such a fallible, insecure thing. We we don't see the original context for it, We don't even see the reactions of either of the lovers. It is completely detached from them. (laughs) And it is used instead to poison their relationship. Fuck. Can I just say, this is uh, now on my top 10 list of quotes taken out of context that people love to put on their pillows. If you want to take a real love line from Hamlet, it has to be... 40,000 brothers could not make up my love or whatever that line is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be when she's dead. When she's dead and he throws himself on her corpse in front of her whole family. It's wild that in this play, the only time we get to see Hamlet profess his love for Ophelia on stage is um, when she's dead. That is something that's honestly whack about Hamlet because we're supposed to completely believe that they love each other or at least that hamlet loves ophelia yeah people argue the opposite isn't true but (laughs) they're kids or adults they're non-mature actors i will say this there's no textual support for either interpretation so i think that both are valid right that is a relationship you can do whatever you want with but it's so strange to me that you don't see their love pure at any point on stage in the text. So, um, whack. The whole relationship is whack. Just like (gasps) Sarah and Edmund. Because he, in the play, Bernhardt Hamlet, he leaves to go right off somewhere Mm -hmm. and they're separated. Mm -hmm. So their love is mostly experienced through trysts and trysts and discussion of memories of them from the past anyway so the act ends with sarah asking edmund to rewrite hamlin which is 
wild. And he is understandably pissed, as the script says. Does it say it he's says, pissed? Pissed. You want me to rewrite Hamlet? And then blackout. <gasps> Gasp. That's intermission. Okay, so I actually do want to talk about the idea of rewriting Shakespeare. Uh, that's what this podcast is about. Yes. I love that he's so upset about this because he's also a playwright and a poet. Listen, I get that it may seem daunting, but I love that this also goes into the play's theme about putting things on a pedestal. I think that Edmund put Sarah on a pedestal. I also think he put Shakespeare on a pedestal. We put the role of Hamlet on a pedestal. We just think that we are respecting these things by... Saying they're untouchable. They're sacred. And they're not. The man's been dead 400 years. The works are public domain. You can fuck with them how you want. Write your own thing based off of them. Change around things. Change the ending to them. Do what you want. Again, I'm a walking contradiction. I say that you should respect the text, but I also state that you can fuck around with it if you want. I don't know how common of an occurrence it was, though, back when this is set, because it's a while ago <laughs> still. I'm sure the people were doing adaptations, but I'm not sure how much they were adapting. The acting style was completely different, though. That's my that's well, another thing. Well, the acting thing. style was different, but how many people were fully changing his words? I understand that. It's just wild to me to think that that's something that's sacred when performance is also a huge, important aspect of interpretation. Well, that's one thing that I find difficult about art in history, especially when it comes to theater, because the performance of a play isn't history. No. In society's concept. The words of the play are. So you can lose the most important aspects of a play. Because plays aren't meant to be read. No, they're meant to be performed. And so if you treat them as just a text, you're losing a vital part, which is what's so difficult, I think, in all that I've experienced of... Studying them? Studying old plays. What you're calling sacred, you don't know how it was performed. If If the stage directions aren't fully in-depth, you don't know what the intention necessarily was without guessing. I mean, Christian morality plays were just monologues. They didn't interact with each other. That was just like, hey, I'm pride. Here's my monologue about why pride is bad. And then you just move on to the next seventh deadly sin. Like, that was it. There weren't characters who were deciding things and making choices. Soapbox being uh, disassembled right now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to Act 2 in earnest. Act 1 of Scene 2, in my opinion, is setting the scene for well, the second act. Hey now, she does do I have of late and wherefore I know not. Lost all my mirth, that speech, and she does it well. This is the first time we see her do a full monologue of Hamlet's. Without prompting, without practice, and she's getting it. And you see the other actors actually messing up. They lose their place, and she was on a roll. But she still doesn't think it was good enough. Oh, that was it? Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's that scene. That's that, that scene? That's short. 
So this next scene is basically Edmund and Alphonse discussing his process, trying to rewrite and failing to rewrite Hamlet, and Alphonse trying to finish his drawing of Sarah and failing to finish his drawing of Sarah. And while they're basically discussing their artistic process and how Sarah's personality as well as how they view her are preventing them from fully performing what they are intending to do, I think that they come across the roadblock that many people who aren't used to something have, which is dealing with their expectations of a person or a thing and the reality of the situation. They call Sarah a flower, or they think Hamlet is impeccable. It's what we were talking about before, about putting something on a pedestal. They're having trouble completing it because they are held back by their ideals. Yeah, like they say, Hamlet without the poetry is not Hamlet. And for the sake of this podcast, I sure hope they're wrong. It's definitely a different Hamlet. Yes. But that still has the word Hamlet in the title. You know, some people could argue that you can just do a whole adaptation of Hamlet and never say the title character's name and do it. And if you could just pluck out the same beats, the same story beats, the same struggles, uh, you can call lots of things Hamlet. Yeah, that's where we get into a bit of a ship of Theseus scenario where however much you keep the same of Hamlet, if you keep changing the words and the characters and the setting... How long does it remain Hamlet? And in my opinion, as long as I can draw a connection. Anything can be Hamlet, if you really can argue your case for it. This is like Hamlet. I feel very Hamlet vibes from this character. And if that character, say, has a father who is deceased and has other troubles going on with their life and they are indecisive about how to do it because they're overwhelmed, you know what? This is uh, an adaptation of Hamlet. Anyway, we move on to... Scene three, act two, the dinner party. Well, everyone's having a raucous good time. There are drinks. There are cheers. There are Mark Twain quotes. There's a critic invited because we need drama. Our fucking worst enemy, Louis. And he is being a rude house guest. And he also answers my question from earlier. Hamlet has been rewritten before. All Shakespeare has fallen victim to the pen of a lesser writer at one time or another. Which one? Hey, Edmund's right there. Be nice. Yeah. And two, cool, Edmund, calm the hell down. It's been done. This scene is the scene that made me turn to Marquez and say, this needs to be the first thing we record for our podcast. What part would you say led to that? All right. Trying to defend her interpretation, her adaptation of Hamlet. Sarah says, What is theater itself but a constant act of translation? We take a script. We imbue it with life. We translate everything in the theater. We invent what we will and translate the rest. Shakespeare was constantly translating other sources, all those history plays. To hear some people tell it, Shakespeare never had an original thought in his head. Theater itself is an act of transformation. This is his subject. Transformation. Snaps to fucking Sarah and snaps to fucking Teresa Reback. 
I was like, if I could have one thing be the theme song, a wordy theme song to our podcast, it would be that section. (laughs) It's just such a good moment. And then her son comes in. And he ruins the damn mood. He brings down this whole vibe that we were curating. Now Maurice wants to run in and be later, like, second half of the play Hamlet, and run in to his mother's room and berate her for playing Hamlet when he returns from university and just give her shit in her closet. As well as imply that she's sleeping with Edmund in front of everyone. It's literally the closet scene. It is the closet scene. Where just like... Holy fuck, Megan. Hey, you sleep in a filthy sty, mom. Okay, you know what? This is an adaptation of Hamlet. Yes, I'm telling you. Yeah, this is that scene. It's a show about adaptations of Hamlet that is an adaptation of Hamlet itself. Megan? Yeah. Is the critic Polonius? I think he's a mix of Polonius and Claudius. Okay. He's really just all the negativity of the show. Yes. Together. Yes. And then like the rest of Claudius slash Polonius is societal doubts within one's own mind. Okay. Yeah. I like this interpretation. But yeah. So he just takes the closet scene and makes it public, which is even worse. At least, at least Hamlet did it in private. Yeah. To save his mother some dignity. Yeah. Yeah. And like Hamlet's mother was actually doing shitty things. I mean, she didn't know. But, like, Sarah's just trying to perform a role, and also she's sleeping with a married man who has a young baby. So that's actually pretty bad. I take it back. Sarah's doing some pretty shitty things. Yeah, yeah. It's not the uh, it's not having multiple sexual partners that's the problem. It's the fact that you're uh, helping a man cheat on his wife. So the scene goes from this high-energy closet scene in public to then actual communication. Once everyone leaves, the actual communication, the actual somewhat mending what just happened and somewhat just shoving it under the rug and saying let's just talk about other things and do catch up well imagine having just a parent who's famous imagine having just someone who everyone talks about and probably hearing rumors about your parent that might be true from other people and not them like it's bad enough if you see like your cousin on facebook got engaged and you didn't even know they had a boyfriend If it's like, oh, hey, your mother is having multiple affairs, and we all know about it, but you don't. But also, at the same time, you wouldn't say this about a man. Oh, of course not. This kind of stuff wouldn't be said about a man. No. So it's wild. Like, she she doesn't invite this. She's just trying to live her life. I mean, granted, she does revel in the attention. Who doesn't love attention? And especially in a time when it was scandalous for women to get attention. I mean, she slept in a coffin. I mean, haven't we all? No, Megan, I have not slept in a coffin. We seem to have forgotten that the scene does not end with them finishing their conversation. No. Because they get interrupted, because that's all this scene is, is constant interruptions. Yes, because Edmund Ronstan's wife, Rosamond, shows up. Yikes. And she basically lays it all out for Sarah that she basically knows that Edmund is in love with her and she is a smart woman. I think Sarah kind of respects Rosamond here. Like, it's very strange for her to be presented with the wife of the person you're cheating with. And I think that 
the person who is asking Edmund to take care of the baby, take care of his household, be the moneymaker. And I think that she just kind of viewed her as this until she meets her. The thing is, I don't think that we get that yet in this scene. Because in this scene, she is 100% deflecting the entire time. But I think it's as soon as Rosamond leaves the scene, which is really the end of the scene. And it's up to the actress to show this. But Rosamond is smart. Yes. And she is paying attention. This isn't just some dalliance happening behind her back that she is blissfully unaware of. She just hasn't done anything about it until now. Until this rewriting of Hamlet has started to ruin the creativity that she sees in her husband. Yes, and he's busy writing Cyrano de Bergerac. He should be busy writing Cyrano de Bergerac. But he's not. Which she says to Sarah, he's writing about you and it's his masterpiece and it's going to outlive all of us and it's you he has written it for you he has written it of you that's a yikes for me dog yeah we'll get into that in the next scenes this scene that we're coming up on yeah first gotta say rosamond top bitch line okay give me give me the slop rosamond says hamlet is killing him speaking of edmund Sarah says, Hamlet is killing me. You are unkillable. As the play says, this is said a little too sharply. Sarah turns at it. Rosamond takes a script out of her bag and puts it on the table. (laughs) That's a mic drop before mics were invented. But then she goes on to say, just look at it. He must finish it. You must release him. Rosamond is such a small role and she is so Powerful. powerful. Which is incredible because she's... We're shown her the way that Sarah would see her, which we think she's just some character who doesn't matter. She is the wife of the cheating husband until we meet her. And just like Sarah, we are astounded by her. Well, I think really uh, in the two moments where we see Sarah interacting with other women, I think we see these women in very emotionally vulnerable situations and that's why rosamond is laertes oh shit hell yeah megan got it (laughs) tie that bow on (laughs) scene four scene four lights shift so uh in this scene sarah has read pretty much overnight the rough draft of cyrano that edmund has written so far and in the early morning she takes constant and invites Edmund, and she basically makes them perform the balcony the scene. balcony scene <gasps> <sighs> number one, if you're coming into this as a Shakespeare fan, fair, and you don't know Cyrano de Bergerac, please go watch Cyrano de Bergerac. It's a good show. Kevin Klein's version is amazing. He's amazing, I'll say. Wow. There are parts that could be better that are not Kevin Klein. Is it Jennifer Garner? Yes, but to be fair, as we will say in a moment, Roxanne's a shit part. Uh, Roxanne is a shitty part. And you know who else knows that? Sarah. Before Constant or Edmund enter the scene, Sarah. Yeah, she knows it before. She gets to basically lay out the plot of Cyrano for Constant after she has read it. 
and gets them to perform that balcony scene in order to show that despite the words being beautiful and the poetry being great and the character of Cyrano de Bergerac being a perfect role for Constant, Roxanne speaks a few lines and then Cyrano just goes off, which is completely the exact opposite of what she wants. It's such a brilliant moment. When they come in, she goes, here are your scripts. I've memorized it already. Because it is so, it's such nothing. It's no challenge from her. It's barely any words. She goes, this is the pivotal scene of the play. I memorized it this morning because you've given me nothing to work with. And he wrote it for her. He wrote the part of Roxanne for her to be a pedestal from which Cyrano professes love to through Christian. And I know that we're talking about how they are Cyrano and Roxanne, but I'm just going to say this is a very Hamlet thing of him to do to her Ophelia. I thought he was Ophelia. They switched. Okay. Sorry. Let me explain. Okay. When he took the Hamlet line, he took the character of Hamlet from her, and he put her as Ophelia in his mind. Okay. I got that. Yeah, I can see that. Well, I mean, he views her as something for him to love. Exactly. Because I think in a lot of his lines, Edmund Ronstad talks about how much he adores her, loves her, needs her, and doesn't really take into account her feelings on the matter because she wants to be with him forever and he would rather have her as this idea. At one point, Sarah does say, Roxanne should not be silenced in order for your Cyrano to speak. You think you are worshipping her, but you're actually worshipping yourself. Snaps. Snaps, Sarah. Yes. It is the opposite of the nunnery scene. Cyrano proclaims all these things about Roxanne. He just puts them onto her and he's beautifully eloquent. In the nunnery scene, Hamlet forces all of these words onto Ophelia, who just stands there in confusion. Mm -hmm. They are the opposite mirror of each other, and they are just as bad. Actually, that's not true, because I'll say, at least Ophelia, you get to prove that you can cry on stage. (laughs) With uh, Roxanne, you mostly just get to stand there and look amazed. Listen, I love Cyrano. I love the poetry in the words that he is saying, but I agree with Sarah here. I do think that Roxanne, we don't know anything about her. We don't find out much about her. She never talks about her wants and needs besides the love she has for Christian through Cyrano's words. And when he dies, when Christian dies, What does she do? She holds herself up in a nunnery until Cyrano finally gets the cojones to profess that it was him the whole time. So basically, at the end of the play, Cyrano says, hey, you know that love of your life that you sequestered yourself away for? That was all a lie. It was all a lie. And actually, it was me. And then as she begins to react, he dies. He dies. So... Congratulations, Roxanne. Cyrano is the role of a lifetime, which she tells Constant. She says, you're going to be amazing, this play that's for you. 
is going to be incredible. And it was. Yes. And it remains to this day. It just, no woman is going to become famous for playing Roxanne. No. It's not a meaty role in the slightest. So especially for a woman who is so sick of ingenues that she was playing Hamlet, to be written Roxanne, the most ingenue role I have possibly ever seen. Insult. A complete insult. And she says as much. Feelings. And they have a massive fight. It's a huge fight, which you should honestly read for yourself, because we could just quote it at you, but it won't be as good. And she admits it's good, like, for Cyrano. And that's what's so infuriating to her. Because she knows he could write her something that good, and yet he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know, your wife's a genius, because she's driven us apart, because now I know that you don't have respect for me, you have idolization for me. So then after that argument, we just see Cyrano de Bergerac opening. We see the no speech where Cyrano basically does witty lines for making fun of his own nose, and it's great and fun and we all love it and i think what this play is great about is that we don't get to see her hamlet open we don't get to see it the last we get is basically an epilogue we talk about how cyrano did great how it's getting massive applause a lot of money and her hamlet did well but we don't really hear much acclaim about it We know that a new Hamlet is still in the works for her. Yes. I mean, she spends the scene with her son wrapping things up. So the play ends with this very tired trope, in my opinion. I understand. It's just something I can't stand where it's like, I've heard of an interesting new contraption. Ooh, the pictures move. And I just don't like it <laughs> you don't like the scene in uh titanic they just go you bought these paintings they're so ugly uh who are they by ah some artist named pablo and you get to you get to <laughs> sit in the audience yourself and with your knowledge of the future and go <laughs> i get that right and before I struggled with this ending as I was talking with Marquez and we were compiling some notes for discussion points. And I went, I don't like this ending Mm -hmm. because it's not mirroring Hamlet anymore. Yes. We are going into, oh, I'm going to make a Hamlet movie. And I went, this doesn't mirror the end of Hamlet. And then I went, unless. Unless. It does. Yeah. And the ending with not talking about her stage Hamlet, is signifying the death of Hamlet, and film is Fortinbras coming in and taking over from theater with film, and that is the brand new start... Of a new kingdom. Of a new kingdom. Yeah. Of photography, film, and not theater. The ghost stick lives. I enjoy that. I also think that um uh, maybe, just maybe, theater is a dying art, and film allows you to immortalize yourself on screen, but also your a reflection of yourself. We can get into the whole symbolism of film as a thing. You're capturing a ghost, you're putting the mirror up to nature, as it were, and then like something that theater has been doing, film can do, and then you could just have a recreation of 
a story that you could just replay over and over and over again. But also, here's the thing. Sarah Bernhardt wanted to be remembered. Yeah. And hell if she didn't get that. Did she, though? Yeah. There's literally a play called Bernhardt Hamlet. I don't know if you've heard of it. But has anyone else? Here's the thing. Anyone who wants to be remembered for theater is going to be remembered by people who like theater. Yeah, I know. I just... Being remembered is a strange thing. Yes. And it's weird that we're talking about this person through this play that's an adaptation of Hamlet that's not her Hamlet, but a person writing a play about her playing Hamlet. Anyway, it's just a, an Ouroboros of adaptation. Well, on that note, that's the end of yeah. Bernhard Hamlet. I think it's a good play. I agree. I really felt a lot watching it, and I go back to it when I read it, and I get emotional again, so. And like all plays, I would suggest trying to find a place where you can <laughs> see it. Somehow. I'm sorry that you can't see the Goodman Theater production we saw. It was very good. Yes. Megan, do you have any final thoughts on Bernhardt Hamlet? I have some thoughts for Sarah Bernhardt specifically. Go ahead. Remember thee. I, thou poor ghost, whilst memory holds a seat in this distracted globe. Remember thee. I'm gonna give this play... Ten Hamlets out of Roxanne. Hmm. I'm I'm just gonna rate this play unkillable. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our first episode of Avant Bard, and we will see you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlo. To support the show, visit Patreon.com/slash Avant Bard Pod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at Avant Bard Pod.